Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Friday, January the 22nd. Whew. It's been a long week. It's been a long three weeks. It's been a long month already. It's been a long year, and we're just getting started. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let's turn our attention to Psalm 103 this morning in our Where in the Word Are You conversation. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. We could just um, settle in right there for a moment. I, I commend Psalm 103 to you today. I commend it to you and encourage you to um, forget not all God's benefits, which are enumerated in verses 2 through 5, or at least some of them. It's a nice summary of God's benefits given to us. There are characteristics of God's, uh, or the attributes of God's character uh, enumerated throughout the psalm opportunities to consider the precious gift of life and the reality of eternity. But let's settle in in the first verse. And again, let me just encourage you, spend some time in Psalm 103 today. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless, 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 blessed be God. Blessed. You just put an exclamation point at the end of it. It is a, a salute. It is a declaration. It's a, an honoring of God as the origin, not only of all power, but uh, of every good and perfect gift of life itself. God is worthy of our praise, regardless of our circumstances. When Jesus blessed the disciples at his ascension, he lifted up his hands over them, blessed them. You live under God's blessing today. We often extend our hands to God in prayer and in worship, but I wonder if we extend our hands to God just in blessing. Bless God today. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And it's more than just a a gesture. This is a wholehearted, whole being blessing Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. When's the last time you just blessed God? Just bless his heart. Just bless him with all that is within you, your inmost being, the depths of who you are, your soul itself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. You may feel tired, you may feel dull, you may feel burned out, depressed. Sometimes we actually have to tell ourselves what to do. So today, let's tell ourselves to praise God, to bless God. 
We don't praise or bless God because we feel like it. We praise and we bless God because God is worthy. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Next up, I've got a conversation with Matt Hawkins. Whew, you might need a little antacid for this. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Matt Hawkins. You can follow follow him on Twitter at MT Hawk. You can also find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Hey, welcome back. Good morning. Thank you for good, welcoming me back. Good morning. We good morning. We have a new president in the White House. <laughs> we do. First, we do. First time for my first segment in this era of American politics. Just wanted to. All right. Put that first first segment for you and I when re- when referencing the president, uh, meaning. Um, someone other than President Trump, yeah. Because all of our conversations to this point have been have been during the Trump presidency. Exactly. I'm just saying we we've only been doing and, this for so long. So, right. uh, so yes, new new era, new day. When we refer to the president um, today, we will be referring to President Biden. That's uh, the how the language changes. the The House has changed. the The residents of the House have changed. The residents of the office have changed, and therefore. Um, we have a massive number of other things that have thus changed as well. Um, start wherever, uh, you feel led this morning because, uh, because our list is, is unpleasant. It's long long and it's unpleasant for those of us, um, from a Christian worldview. Yeah. Y'all listeners have to know, y'all, y'all have to know that the, uh, Carmen and Paul frequently send me articles (laughs) that they're interested in discussing (laughs) and the length of articles links this year, this week was like a stack. It, it might have been, we like to think of, we we like to think of our, of our show prep as, um, as worthy of like a PhD level course. That's, that's sort of how we like to think of our guest prep. Yeah. There you go. Like show, show prep. I'm like, um, we might have a chance to get to three of these. (laughs) All right. So let's get to the first one. Do you want to talk about? So, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So um, as with any new incoming presidency, things change. Uh, it's not surprising. It happens every four, uh, <clears throat> every four or eight years. And uh, Senator or um, uh, President Biden is now at the helm. And so you see what you predictably do, uh, particularly the first week where they issue a stack of executive orders. What is an executive order? It is simply an an order from the president of the United States, who is the top executive of the executive branch to executive branch agencies. And uh, this is a common practice now Um, on the scope of things, executive orders. uh, Some people are, you know, some taking uh, taking it back, you know, during the first week or so that uh, you see a bunch of these rolling out. Don't be freaked out by the number of executive orders. Uh, what matters is what's inside them. And uh, you really have to get kind of familiar with each and every one of them. Uh, some executive orders uh, actually do cause some some dramatic change. Other executive orders don't do all that much. And we saw, we saw this. Uh, you see this with all presidencies. Uh, you saw this with Donald Trump. Uh, a lot of them were pretty, pretty effective and others of them uh, really, you know, weren't worth more than a dust jacket without a book. Um, so, uh, on, on volume, 
a little bit of a historic context, Clinton issued uh, 254 executive orders. George Bush ordered 291 across eight years. Barack Obama, 276. And Donald Trump, 217. So just to give you a, a, a snapshot uh, of what to expect, you're on the course of... You know, if Biden has eight years, you'll you'll probably get around 250 to 270 executive orders. But we'll see. It's obviously early. We're on day on day three here. Um, so naturally, those of us who are social conservatives, uh, broadly speaking, and then particularly uh, those of us who are pro-life are paying attention to executive orders that have to do with abortion policy and not unsurprising is that the Biden administration will uh, basically roll back a lot of the uh, temporary wins that the uh, Donald Trump administration was able to get through, uh, mostly through the Department of Health and Human Services. And so things like uh, the, the one that obviously pings back and forth is something called the Mexico City policy. Um, it actually is a, it's a foreign aid policy that has to do with global um, uh, uh, aid uh, from the U.S. government, not just Mexico City, um, to groups that uh, refer or perform abortions overseas. And so you have American tax dollars that are basically uh, being fought over here. And what is what is appropriate for uh, U.S. tax dollars to be uh, used and distributed um, to organizations that refer uh, or uh, or conduct abortions outside of our national borders. And so that has now been reversed. Uh, we got a reprieve from those tax dollars doing that sort of thing under Donald Trump, as we did with George W. Bush. Um, it's the most predictable thing um, that a change in uh, party uh, control of the White House will happen. Uh, you also have something uh, called the... Uh, Oh my goodness! I had it in front of me. Do you want to do the Hyde Amendment? Although we don't really know that yeah. that's on the on the chopping block yeah. yet. Yeah. Well, let's let's jump to that for a little bit. Okay. Um, part of the you know obviously part of the reason that executive orders are so high in number um, in the modern era is because uh, what you see is Congress doing uh, less and less of the leadership on policymaking, and so presidents uh, are you know they tend to act um, uh, independently uh, and do what they can through um, agency, you know, executive orders. Uh, again, these are temporary, right? And so if we have a new president after Biden, uh, that president can then reverse it again. So the executive orders are basically temporary, assuming uh, a future president can can and will uh, reverse them. Um, but all to say, there's some interesting chatter uh, from D.C. that basically <laughs> looks like uh, the Democrat Party is kind of caught uh, what one headline uh, ran was flat-footed. Um, it's like the dog that caught the car and doesn't know what to do with it. Um, and so they have control of three branches of the federal government. And But that's only happened within the last couple of weeks. And so they don't exactly have um, unity around a legislative plan as a party, uh, given this uh, new power dynamic. I will say this. Um, there was a headline I saw that indicated, quote, total control of Washington. I think that's an exaggeration. Uh, the Senate's 50-50. Um, that's not total control. Um, uh, even George W. Bush had more control than that during a lot of his years. Um, and obviously, President Trump uh, had, uh, had you know, was it 52? Um, and mm -hmm. uh, they a lot, a lot more control than Biden will. Now, it's, it's worse than probably the last time we talked in the fall about what this was going to look like. 
um, for conservatives. Um, but it's still not total control. There's been a lot of chatter um, that because Senator Manchin of West Virginia, my home state, um, he's you know a Democrat, um, a very a Democrat senator from a very red state, very very red state, that he now holds all this control in the Senate. Um, that, that may or may not be true, but it, what actually might be the case is that all senators are all of a sudden the most important Senate senator uh, in that body um, because, you know, one uh, – just one vote in the Senate can really mess with stuff. Um, on, on tie-breaking things, uh, you'll have the Vice President Harris um, breaking ties. Um, but all of a sudden, every senator um, ha has a lot of control, uh, particularly every Democrat senator, right? And so there's going to be a lot of uh, even infighting and and in negotiations um, among Democrat senators. What's interesting, I'm a little foggy on the details right now, but because of the 50-50 split, it actually looks like Democrats will not have total control over committee assignments. Uh, typically, you know, the majority party basically is in charge of all the uh, committees. Those committees are very important because they decide what legislation even goes through the process, much less gets voted on on the Senate floor. Uh, it sounds like uh, basically leadership on those committees might be 50-50. I'm not exactly sure how they're splitting it up, but uh, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, so the, hey, hey, we got to take a we, we have to pause. Break. Can we, we got to break? We break pause. And we'll come back and talk about hide. Yeah, and then let's talk, let's talk about um, some SOGI and LGBTQ identity politics things. Would that be okay? Mm -hmm. All mm -hmm. right, that's what's up next. I'm talking with Matt Hawkins. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> Continuing my conversation with Matt Hawkins, you can follow him on Twitter at MT Hawk. Matt, let's um, let's pivot and have a conversation about um, what we know, executive orders um, related to sexual orientation, gender identity, or you know the identity politics of the LGBTQ. Um, I, I don't know subgroup within the Democratic Party, which um, seems to be wielding an awful lot of power. If we're just reading. Um, if we're just reading what has already happened and already been implemented by this administration. Yeah, I think, and the other thing I didn't mention about uh, executive orders is particularly early executive orders like this, uh, they're typically trying to deliver on campaign promises as much as possible, right? So these are kind of like coalition affirmation kinds of things, right? And so what we see in executive orders uh, is not a surprise. It's, it's stuff that Biden ran on. Um, and so their executive orders are often the kind of thing that are, you know, he's rewarding his base basically for getting him in the office. That's what a lot, many, many executive orders basically are trying to do. Um, and yeah, so on, on the sexual orientation, gender identity front, uh, quote unquote, SOGI for short, we've seen some developments here, particularly with the respect to um, transgender uh, issues. Um, and some of that has to do um, with federal policy regarding um, sporting events or sport participation um, with youths. And so uh, there's a policy that's basically going to attempt to um, make it so that a, a, a boy who feels like he is a girl um, can participate in girls sports. Um, and that's going to be troubling to a lot of parents naturally. Um, that's been an issue bubbling below the surface. It was something that the Obama administration tried to advance um, among some other issues related to SOGI 
Um, and uh, we'll see how far that goes. I imagine because it's a federal policy, there are going to be plenty of states, uh, plenty of uh, Republican-controlled uh, states that are going to fight this uh, pretty directly. There was already um, there's already legislation introduced this week um, in the Ohio State House um, that is preparing to fight that uh, at the state level. Um, and so I think you'll that's what you'll see activated is basically probably lawsuits, um, probably mostly by states uh, that will challenge um, the White House on this. So um, it's it's troubling. It's something that clearly we would. Uh, you know, as social conservatives and as believers uh, not be comfortable with. Um, but this isn't going to flip overnight. Um, and I, I, I suspect um, there's going to be several legal battles um, forthcoming um, when we see this kind of thing roll out. Um, related to this, I would say, is the nomination of uh, a doctor from Pennsylvania who the new president um, introduced. Um, he chose to highlight the transgender nature of this person. Um, he, he chose to highlight that. Um, this individual has since, Dr. Rachel Levin, um, has since chosen to highlight it um, as well. You you yeah. hear my um, the challenge that I face to not refer to this individual by gendered pronouns. Right. Um, right. And... I mean, we are in this is a very difficult time. If I were to on air misgender this person, I would be subject to the new uh, law of the land related to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's yep. a little it's a little uh, <laughs> linguistic struggle for us. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think, uh, and I think it's wise to be cautious here too. Um, I was troubled by seeing some um, Facebook posts by um, Christian friends of uh, mine. Uh, the way they spoke about Dr. Levine um, was a little troubling. Like, not, look, we're going to have, uh, Bi- you know, we're discussing uh, policy differences with the Biden administration, um, but we need to not talk about Dr. Levine and, and others who who maybe trans gender um, uh, in a way that sounds like we're discriminating against them for holding uh, public office. Um, I think that's a bridge too far, right? Um, And I think uh, it's easy for our tone to become that or sound that way. Um, particularly in short um, posts on on social media. So, uh, you, know, you know, on the flip side of the coin is she's, or uh, she's probably more qualified, uh, at least on paper, to to administrate in in the health space than her boss uh, will be uh, Becerra, uh, who is an attorney general from California, mm. uh, who doesn't really have any health uh, policy experience uh, other than uh, other than uh, being the legal beagle for the state of California. So. Uh, there, that's an interesting dynamic there. Um, but yeah, it's, I think you're going to obviously, uh, anticipate policy differences at health and human services that, um, that we're going to disagree with and we're going to challenge over the next uh, four years. Um, but I think we, we also need to be cautious about, uh, how we talk about, uh, transgender folks, um, in government leadership, um, because I really don't think there's any reason for us to, uh, to object to their holding the office, um, uh, in, in particular, others may disagree with me, but I think that's a that's a kind of a cautionary moment. Uh, so we just need to be really precise in our language about how we talk about these things. Yeah, I think the precision in language is what I was referring to, and it is a little yeah. it gets a little tortured um, if you know if as a matter of conscience, I don't want to refer to a person um, in the way that they would prefer to be referred to. I would prefer to refer to them in a way that aligns with. Uh, the reality of their biology. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm sort of taking a natural law position, but it's really difficult. 
um, to do so in a way that doesn't then sound um, dysphemistic. I mean, I recognize that. I I absolutely recognize yeah. that, and it's hard. It's it's really it's really challenging for all of us. Um, but thank you for for the reminder that um, our tone and our treatment of people really matters, and it's a huge part of our witness right now. Huge part. Yeah, it is, yeah. and that includes how we speak about people in politics. Absolutely. Uh, so we, uh, we we need to be cautious about that because we want to win people uh, to our point of view. Uh, we want to win people over, right? To Jesus. Um, and you don't you don't do that, Amen. right? You don't you you don't do that by uh, taking uh, we don't do that by taking cheap shots or um, uh, picking on uh, uh, you know differences uh, that don't have direct uh, relation to uh, you know policy. So uh, we need to remember that um, and uh, and uh, be be cautious. Um, All right, you and, and I got to leave it right there. I, we gotta. We, I'm so sorry. Thanks, I tend Carmen. To have to cut. I know. I cut you off. Sorry, man. All right. Hey, no blessings. Uh, have a great weekend. Right, you too. Bye. We'll be right back. All right. What are you watching this weekend? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you writing? What are you posting on social media? Chris Martin writes a newsletter called Terms of Service that I uh, particularly appreciate. He is a content marketing editor at Moody Publishers. Uh, He is the author of the Terms of Service newsletter. It's a newsletter about social media and its effects on the world, and social media um, has uh, been burning up the headlines of late. So we're going to talk with Chris about how truth or veracity suffers in what he calls the age of virility when things go viral. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. The world our kids live in today is far different from the one you and I grew up in. As kids move into their teen years, they face unimaginable pressure to turn away from the values you've worked so hard to instill in their lives. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Raising kids in church, homeschool, or a Christian school is no guarantee they'll turn out to be the godly, refined adult that you're hoping for. In fact, many parents wake up one morning to discover that their teen has changed into a person they don't even know. Is that your experience? Doing everything right only to find it didn't work? Teens today need moms and dads who are constantly adjusting their parenting style to fit the times. If things aren't working, don't keep doing what you've always done. Change it up. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Chris Martin is back. He's a content marketing editor at Moody Publishers and the author of the Terms of Service newsletter. Uh, Chris, welcome back, man. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm reading uh, an article that you wrote. It is posted at the Gospel Coalition, uh, and I have mispronounced one word in the title and now must apologize to my audience. So it is how veracity suffers in the age of virality, not the age of virility. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I misspoke. It was early, and now people are adding me. Well, to, to give you a little grace, uh, virality isn't like technically a word, so it's a little it's a little like hard to get get the get the mouth saying that one right. So I understand. That makes me feel so much better. Okay, so 
Um, since virality is not a word and it is a word we are going to use in relationship to the idolatry of it, let us remind people what it means for something to go viral um, and and why we idolize that in uh, in the world today. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for millions of Internet users, going viral is a sort of goal to be achieved and a coveted symbol of success. For many, it's kind of become something of an obsession. It's almost like if the Internet were a game, going viral is how you win. Um, and, but what does it even mean to go viral? Generally speaking, a piece of Internet content that goes viral is one that spreads exponentially, that spreads faster than time moves along. So, you know, one minute or one hour 50 people may see it in the next hour, 500 people may see it. And then after that, 5,000. And then after that, 50,000. And typically it's dis a, a piece of viral content is disproportionately more popular than the creator's other content. So if, if you're LeBron James and everything you post to Instagram gets 300,000 comments and a million likes, well, that not everything you post is necessarily going viral just because it's popular. But if it if it gets shared more widely than something you typically share, obviously, if I posted something to Instagram and it got 300,000 comments and a million likes, that would definitely be going viral for me. But it wouldn't necessarily be going viral for someone like LeBron James or something like that. Um, so if the online content ends up becoming a cultural moment offline as well, that's a pretty good sign that it's gone viral. Unfortunately, there's no like dictionary definition of, oh, well, now that X has happened, you have officially gone viral. There's no um, there's no like hard and fast line like that. But I've often joked that if your content gets on Good Morning America or the Ellen DeGeneres show, it, it's you probably can say I went viral. <laughs> um, OK, so, so let's uh, can I can I highlight a, yeah. a person in real life who is experiencing this today in real time. Sure. So there is a Vermont school teacher whose name is Jen Ellis. Yes. Now, we would have no reason to have any idea or know anything about her, but if you um, right now just Google Bernie Sanders mittens, um, mm -hmm. which is a part of the Bernie Sanders meme, which is absolutely the most, the most viral image from the inauguration of yes. uh, now President Biden, you will discover... Um, that these mittens, these cozy mittens, were a gift to him by this Vermont school teacher. Well, her, she says her Gmail has now crashed. She doesn't have any more knit, more mittens to sell. I mean, on and on and on. But I guarantee you, she has uh, in 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 this going viral. Um, you know, she's she's a thing now. She's a she's the it girl today. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, that's exactly right. I've I've been the Bernie memes have been the funniest thing on the Hilarious. internet this week, the and it's been funny, tremendous. The funniest thing. Yeah. Um. So many, so many good ones. Everything. Okay. From I like the few... one where the guy is flipping open the um uh the camp chair to set it down, and when he flips <laughs> open the camp chair, the Bernie appears. It's yes, that's a great one. There's a great Harry Potter one I saw. There's a great couple <laughs> like Nashville esque ones that I saw. Um. So anyway, yeah. So so that would be something that has gone viral, and that's someone you know. And, and what's funny is that's she's a unique situation where she didn't go viral because of something she posted, right? She, no, she, she gave a going, guy some mittens because his hands right. were cold. Like a couple yeah. years ago or like when yeah. he started his campaign. No, I know, later. and he like dug them out from under the seat of the car or something. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think somebody got one. Somebody got a comment from him uh, and he was like, it, people have learned that up in Vermont we make good mittens or something like that. <laughs> That's just the funniest <laughs> kind of retort. Um, but yeah, so like the, I think the reason we make an idol of going viral or or I just got sick of, uh, quite frankly, the reason I invented the word viral. Well, first of all, I didn't create the word virality. People in kind of my space of writing and space of the Internet 
have created this word long ago. Um, it's just not technically in the dictionary. Um, but it's just a lot easier to talk about the phenomenon of going viral as virality rather than just saying going viral over and over. But obsession with it um, comes honestly because we want we often want what comes with going viral. I mean, just look at Chewbacca mom who was sitting in a mm-hmm. Coles parking lot, recorded a video of herself laughing hysterically wearing a Chewbacca mask. And she she became rich and famous, at least a flash in the pan. She got a book deal. She got a free college tuition to some college. I forget which one. Um, and just all kinds of the the guy who was skateboarding in L.A. holding his jug of cranberry juice um, was living in a trailer in Los Angeles. He got fame. He got, went viral on TikTok last year, and then like he got enough money to buy a house and was in commercials and stuff like that. And so people really want to go viral because it's like winning the internet lottery. Quite frankly, I mean, it's the best way to describe it. Now, that's not to say it doesn't come with a lot of baggage and burden and difficulty. Um, certainly, one of the most um, common things that happens to people after they go viral is they get canceled. People dig into who they are, what they've posted previously or things like that. And then, you know, figures, oh, man, this guy posted something racist a couple months ago or um, or whatever. However, people can get canceled in a multitude of ways that often follows in the wake of people going viral. So I think, though, that we becoming going viral on the Internet becomes an idol for a lot of folks because it we're asking or we're expecting the uh, phenomenon of going viral to provide something that only God can provide, which is contentment. Quite frankly, um, we think that, oh man, if I could just get famous, uh, if I could just have enough followers, um, or, or have this video of my kid doing this funny thing, go viral, we could get on the Ellen show and then we could get a new car or he could have his school his school paid for or whatever and it really is it's like the it's like the internet lottery um and i think a lot of us are still obsessed with riches and fame there's a great documentary that is going to come out via hbo that was just announced yesterday called fake famous where mm. this group of this group of people who are kind of internet culture experts um train a couple of complete strangers on how to become internet famous and just to see if they can kind of engineer internet fame around people who have no reason to actually be famous. Like take oh, pictures. I know a street of um, in a town where I live where you could absolutely make that happen in sure. about 15 minutes just by having somebody with you with a real camera. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's um I'm really interested to watch the documentary and I'm actually working on a book idea around the sort of obsession with influencer culture and going viral within the Christian subculture. And I think, mm. I think it's a growing problem. And I think a lot of it goes back to what we've talked about a little bit before, which is we get obsessed with the attention that these algorithms generate. And we try to, a lot of folks try to kind of build their lives around getting noticed. Um, and it comes down to quite frank. Uh, uh, I think I've said this already, but a lot of people simply aren't content with where they're at and the internet can sort of provide this in their mind, this moonshot to a lifestyle that they wish they could have of sponsorships and free clothes and brand deals and a nice house or things like that. Mm. All right. Chris Martin and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Um, he has a piece on on this idea that the internet is actually real life 
And that conversation is up next. Hey, that bumper is from Remedy Drive. If you missed my conversation yesterday with David Zach, uh, go grab the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Excellent conversation about our responsibility as individual Christians to press the full force of our life into bringing an end to uh, human trafficking. This is Human Trafficking Awareness and Prevention and Intervention Month. So if you missed that conversation yesterday, I um, encourage you to listen to it and get engaged. Talking now with Chris Martin. Uh, at the Terms of Service newsletter, uh, Chris has a piece posted on the Internet is real life. Chris, tell us about this. Yeah. So when a couple of weeks ago, I wrote this the Monday after the siege at the Capitol, and it was honestly part me trying to help people see how the Internet played a role in the siege of the Capitol and part me going to therapy with my keyboard Um and and I I've always processed a lot of thinking and feeling through writing. It's part of how I got into writing back when I was a broody middle schooler. And I think um, this piece that I wrote and sent to all my email um, email subscribers was kind of a hey here I just want to share with you how I'm feeling. Um, my wife said following the insurrection that she had never seen me like she had after that. I was just super discouraged. Um, not as much because of the event, but as, as much because of the, um, kind of the response I was seeing from friends or the sort of justification I was seeing from friends on the internet. And so I had to reflect a little bit on that, but then I also wanted to be sure to call to attention that the internet was at the center of so much of what happened. Um, people have often said that the reason election polls, for instance, always show that president Trump, former president Trump had less of a chance to win than he actually ended up. You know, it happened in 2016. It happened in 2020. Uh, Donald Trump made the election closer than the pollsters thought it was going to be. And a theory behind that has always been that um, people who are going to vote for Donald Trump are afraid or kind of ashamed, or nervous about saying so to a pollster. But then social media reporters who uh, reported around the 2016 election and the 2020 election aren't surprised when Donald Trump performed well because they paid attention to internet chatter and and praise for him. And there's a journalist who follows a lot of this kind of um, the sort of MAGA movement on social media and then also like the QAnon movement. Um, he said, it's time we start realizing that what people do and say online is who they actually are and what they actually believe. And I think... I've had a lot of conversations with people about the internet and conspiracy theories and extremism. And the most common retort I hear from people is, well, you might see that online, but that's not how actual like normal people think. Or you might hear chatter about that on social media, but it's not like real life. Or I had friends following the siege on the Capitol saying, well, I mean, there's a lot of like bad stuff going on, but like Christians weren't involved at all or anything like that. Um, and my hope following the siege of the Capitol is that um, people recognize that these folks who did this organized and planned their attack on very public internet outlets. They were planning it in Facebook groups and on Reddit threads and, um, and, and, places and raising that money on, on Christian fundraising websites. Exactly. Very publicly. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so I think what people, what I've, you know, I work in social media and for a long time I've had both friends you know, uh, people in my life and family members kind of still see social media as this 
new media phenomenon that's like, oh, wow, Internet culture is fascinating. And it, they see it as totally separate from real, tangible, physical life. Um, and it's been hard a lot of times for me to have conversations where it's like, no, these th like it, the Internet is more real life than you realize. Um, and I hope one of the things we learn from following the insurrection at the Capitol is that when we see people talking about doing things on the Internet, um, whether it's threatening things or not, we should probably take it more seriously than we do. Um, and we should we should realize that what people do in plain sight on the Internet, often not even behind pseudonyms or anonymous accounts, but behind their actual names um, is is more real life and could have more physical manifestation and consequences than maybe we've realized in the past. So one of the defenses um, being quickly raised by those who are now being um, actively arrested for their involvement um, in the storming of the Capitol, um, one of the very, I mean, I've, I've now heard it more than a dozen times, that's not who I am. That's... Um, that's not I mean, that's that's not me. And yet it is you. Um, and so I do think that we live in this culture where um, we've all been uh, the demand is that we all participate in this mass delusion that people can be whoever they want to be, even if it's totally inconsistent with observable reality. And now we have people using as their defense. Well, you know what? That's not me. That. That's not who I really am. I am really a good person. I really yeah. do love the country. And so here's the challenge we face, Chris. We have been set up to um, to be people who can operate outside of real reality as if it's not real and doesn't have right. real impact. And, and so, I mean, I just think that people need to be aware of how we have – we have set ourselves up for this as a culture, and I'm hoping that Christians can still see the difference between reality and delusion and yeah. truth and lies and recognize that, uh, you know, as Christians, it's not as if I can bifurcate, oh, I believe in Jesus over here, but that's this part of my life. And over here, I can be a hate-filled, um, you know, violent individual. Those two yeah. things cannot live inside of a Christian. Yeah, agreed. And and I think um, back in the day, people used to say, yeah, people say anything on the internet when they can do it anonymously. And uh, the more I've worked in internet kind of internet culture throughout my career, the last eight years or so, I've realized uh, people are getting more and more brazen about saying things behind their real names on Facebook. <laughs> uh, and I think we need to start to exactly as you say have a reality check not only on our conduct online but really start to consider how what we're consuming online changes us and that's kind of what the book that I've written that we've talked about a little bit before that comes out in a year is really geared toward is hey here's how your relationship with the internet is changing you in ways you mm -hmm. may not recognize and I think we need to think about that oh yeah My, well first of all the fact that I have a relationship with the internet and it and that it's real and that I treat it as real like that might be a first moment of observation for folks like pause there for a moment the first yeah. reality check is you have a relationship with the internet and you have online relationships that you don't actually I mean you think of them as real life relationships and are right. they 
I mean, I, I don't know. Am I real friends with people I've not ever really met in face to face? I mean, it, it's hard, right? Especially in, yeah. um, in in COVID world where, I mean, I'm now in a uh, a community group at church. Most of these people I've never actually met at church because our community group is formed during COVID. Yeah. So I know them from Zoom. That's weird. That's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, re- it's reality, but it's weird reality. Okay. Uh, we got to leave it there. Um, you are wonderful. Thank you, as always, uh, for joining us. The The newsletter is called Terms of Service. You can find it at Substack, um, or you could just Google Terms of Service and the name Chris Martin, and it will come up. He's a content marketing editor at Moody Publishers and a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, well, he he looks at what's happening, not only on social media, but in our hearts as Christians, and he helps us find the important connections between the two. Chris, thank you as always so much. Yeah, have a great weekend, Carmen. You too. We'll be right back. All right, where in the word are you today? Thank you for those of you who uh, pop off to me on uh, on the text line and. Um, and via email, letting me know where in the word you are. One listener today is in Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 10 to 17. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it. Go your own way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone else stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. Hey, we know the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And let us be people who walk by faith today, yoked to Christ. Like if you're yoked to Christ... Uh, you cannot you you cannot move in a direction that is contrary uh, to his will. And why would you want to? So snuggle up under that yoke and get right next to Jesus and look where he is placing his feet, where his feet fall, and walk there. Not by faith, or not by sight, but by faith, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you might um, be found to be not only faithful to God, but wise, but wise in the world. Like those two things... Um, are aligned with one another. The wisdom of God will one day be found out in the world. Let's be those people today. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.